where would you rate yourself on a scale of one to five? Where would your teammates rate you right now? Where would your coach rate you right now? Don't try to do every single thing really well. Try to pick a few things to do really well and then next year build on that. But I really just want to look for people who have the right temperament and character as well. Not just, you know, the knowledge, but also um, what have I heard about them as a person? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club podcast. I'm your host, Max Price. In today's episode, I welcome on Jessica Griggs from Seaside High School right here in Oregon on the Oregon coast. Coach Griggs is in the middle of building a program basically from the ground up. And so it's a pretty cool conversation where we get into what it's like to take a program that really hasn't had a lot of success. In fact, we're pretty sure that the last league title that Seaside High School won in softball was back in the 1980s. So they've had a high turnover rate for coaches. They haven't had a lot of success on the field. And Jessica's really determined to turn that around. As she enters her third season, she's really focused on building the youth program bringing her players consistency and stability, and also building a brand new hitting facility that opens up here in about a month or so. It's a great conversation for anybody who's kind of in the middle of building their own program, and also a great reminder as to why we got into coaching in the first place. So please welcome on Jessica Griggs from Seaside High School. All right, you ready? I'm I'm ready. (laughs) All right, let's do this thing. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this opportunity. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you on. I wanted to kind of start today by letting you walk us through your career, maybe start back in your playing days, maybe all the way back to high school, into college, uh, how you entered coaching and where you are now. Well, let's see, I grew up playing softball. Um, I think like a lot of coaches um, did in their youth. Um, when I got to high school, after my freshman year of high school, I decided to take the summer off. I didn't play summer ball, which was kind of just like an out of the blue decision for me and decided to work. And then um, up until that point, I'd always been pretty a pretty talented player, just naturally talented enough to get me by and to do well. Um, and then after taking that summer off, I came back to it just with a new vigor. And I wanted to become a better player by working hard, not just by being already good at something. And so um, my sophomore year, let's see, I, I was on JV and I swung at the very end. And then my next two years, I was on varsity, and I was a dominant pitcher um, for the Dallas Watonka High School. And then I got a scholarship to go play at Western Oregon University, where I was a pitcher. Um, and that was a really humbling experience to go from being, you know, top dog in high school, all-state pitcher, to a very, like, middle-of-the-road pitcher in college, <laughs> you know, um, where everybody's everybody's good. And so... Um, that was, a, that was a good experience for me to go to college and to um, just to continue my work of trying to work hard to become a better player. I played there for four years and had a good experience. Let's see, from there, it was about 22 when I graduated. I took eight or nine years off of softball. I was teaching in a school called Falls City that's down by Monmouth, and there's not a softball program there because they're a 1A school. Um, I, coached, I coached middle school um, volleyball for a couple years. And then I got engaged and moved up here to Seaside, Oregon. As far as coaching goes here, I got my start by, I was teaching a fifth grade class here in Gearhart. And I mentioned to the class that I'd played college softball. And one of the girls went home and told her dad, you know, my teacher, she played college softball. She was a pitcher. So I started giving her private pitching lessons. And then he mentioned to the athletic director that, um, that, you know, they have a new person in town who knows something about softball. And he came knocking and I became the assistant coach that season, and within two weeks of becoming the assistant, that was like in January, the head coach, who was supposed to be head coach that year, um, quit. She had some 
things come up and she couldn't, um, she couldn't be head coach that season. And, and I told them, you know, I don't want to be head coach. This is my first year getting into the community here. I want to kind of learn more about the community and the history of softball here before I take that leap. And so um, there was a dad in town of a senior who wanted to be head coach. So he was, and we worked alongside each other that year. And then the following year, it didn't work for him to come back. So I stepped in. That was last spring, not this COVID spring, but the spring before that. And then we had COVID spring and, and here we are now in the fall. I feel bad for any coach that would have taken over before COVID spring. At least you got a year in before all that stuff got shut down. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) It's funny that you, you mentioned your freshman year of high school. I did the same thing. I played freshman year baseball and I'd played, I mean, my whole life and I played, you know, high school baseball freshman year. And then I don't even really know why, but I didn't play that summer, which was really weird. And Mm -hmm. similarly though, I came back, with like this new vigor and it was like, Oh man, I, I want to be good at this and I want to get after it. And it's just, it's really different. And it's, it's hard now as I have freshman players and if, if they're, you know, not thinking about playing, I, it's hard to remind myself, you know, you did that once and it worked yes. out okay for you. Mm-hmm. It's been interesting, you know, when, when dads have asked me from our youth programs, like, Oh, you know, she's just not really motivated this year. I'm like, that's fine. Like she'll come back to it if, if it's meant to be. Um, give her a little bit of rope and encourage her to do her best and do something that, you know, keep her active and just try not to push her too much. And I don't think my dad pushed me too much. I don't, it wasn't really about that. It was just, you know, starting to get into boys. I wanted to have a job and I don't know. I just wanted a summer to be a kid. So <laughs> it's really similar for me too. Is I wanted to be able to go hang out with my friends, all my buddies, like my closest friends didn't play baseball. So when I, that spring, you know, my first year of high school, I was kind of on my own. I mean, I had friends on the team, of course, but my close friends growing up, they all played tennis. And so that summer I'm like, well, I just I want to be able to hang out with them and have a good time. So I think you're right. It's for some people, they need to step away uh, in order to really, I don't know, feel that desire to be really good at it again. Or maybe they step away and they realize it's, it's not something they're interested in anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. So you're at Seaside High School. Can you give us kind of a a rundown of what Seaside High School is like, where it is, and what the experience is like for most people there? Yeah. So um, Seaside High School is a high school of about 500 kids. We're a 4A school. And just for me, like I grew up in a 5A school, so it's a little bit bigger. So it's not too much smaller than that. Um, But it still has this like small town feel. And our high school is made up of um, students who are from Gearhart, uh, Cannon Beach and Seaside. And we also have some who come from Astoria or Warrington if they get a inner district transfer agreement, which um, Seaside doesn't do too much of. Um, but we're made up of several different communities that come together for, for our high school and actually for our elementary and middle now as well. Our high school where it was the way it is now, where it's made up of several communities was first established, I think in 1916. Um, but before that, I think the high schools were all separated out to the different smaller communities. So you took over and then you probably had some momentum going things. You, you felt like you're getting a pretty good handle on things. I, just from a personal standpoint, I, don't, I know the first year as a head coach is so different. There's so many, I don't know, so many things that you didn't even know existed before you became the coach, like so many responsibilities that maybe you didn't even really realize were there. So you get a year in and then everything gets shut down in year two. What, what has that been like? That's been really interesting. And and you're really right about it being, there's so many little things you don't think about. And, you know, people ask me questions like my assistant coach, Joel asked the first year he worked with me and the first year I was head coach, like, what's your hitting philosophy or, or, you know, what's this? And I'm like, what? Like, oh my gosh, I have to think about all these things, you know, like things I never thought about as a player. 
to go from having like our first year of really trying to create some excitement around our high school program to being shut down was really hard. Um, we have, we have a group of kids this year who just were really self-motivated and into softball, um, and wanted to get better. And so it was really hard to go from, you know, several months of, you know, open gym hitting and open gym pitching to not after nine days being shut down for what I think we thought was like 18 days. So I told, I like dispersed all the year. I said, these are the things you can control, go work on this, do this. Um, and then to be, you know, slowly put off, you know, Oh, it's going to be a month. Oh, it's going to be two months. Oh yeah. We're not going to be back. So that was really hard. And I, and I, people have asked like, are you just devastated? And for me personally, I wasn't devastated for myself. I was, I was super sad for the kids that wanted to be out there. Luckily we didn't have any seniors this year. So that kind of took away the sting a little bit. Um, but we do have three seniors this year who really want to make sure they can get out there. So it was hard. It was hard to know that we had kids who wanted to be out there and they couldn't be out there together and they couldn't have the season they were expecting and looking forward to. Well, it's a relief that you didn't have seniors in that respect because it was it was super heartbreaking for them. I mean, it sucks for anybody to lose a season, but for the seniors that I had, it was particularly devastating. You know, you work your whole, maybe your whole life preparing for your senior year almost and then mm-hmm. just to have it all kind of ripped away was really awful. Yeah. Did you have many seniors this year? We had we had six seniors in twenty nineteen or in twenty twenty, yeah. Oh wow! So we had six guys, and pretty much all of them really didn't have much like varsity playing time. A couple of them had been on the team for a while and kind of split playing time their junior year. You, you'd spend three years and play on the you know freshman team and the JV team, and for a few of them, they'd been on the JV team for two years and worked out, got you know really strong and ready, and then it's all gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just totally. felt horrible for them. Totally. Yeah. We have a couple of kids who are in a similar situation where they just, they really want to get to that top level and they work hard. They show up every single time. And so I know for, I have one or two in particular who, you know, they're, they were juniors this last year. they will be seniors this year that just really want to be out there so badly. So, um, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm excited for this next season and I feel like we'll be able to get out there and give them some kind of an experience. <laughs> yeah. We've been able to do workouts. Uh, our district allowed them starting basically October 1st mm-hmm. and I, I've been, maybe I shouldn't be surprised but with how many, just been surprised with how many kids are showing up in October for workouts. It's a ton. Mm-hmm. And just, it's a, it's a really big testament I think to high school kids and especially our seniors showing up and doing all this work, knowing that there's, you know, there's no promise or guarantee that we even get to have a season. Mm-hmm. Totally. We're, we're, we've been doing something similar. Our, our district started letting us, well, they let us work out this summer actually. And I did a couple sessions and, you know, all socially distanced and not sharing any gear or anything. We we're just doing some conditioning and um, light stuff, but I only had a couple kids showing up. So, um, and those are the kids that were going to work out on their own anyways. And so I only did a couple sessions and then said, you know, keep, keep, keep on track of your fitness and take care of yourself and your family. And and we didn't really work out too much after that. And then we got, I think we went into a moratorium in August, so I couldn't see them anyways. Um, And then our district set it up. So we've like, we had six weeks of spring sport priority where if we worked out on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they had to come to us. And so we did that for a couple weeks um, and that went well. And we just kept increasing like the number of kids that would come. Um, you know, as you know, we're not a, we're not a winning program yet and there hasn't been a lot of stability yet. And so there's not, you know, we're building the excitement for the high school program. So to have nine girls come to the workouts here at the end of, um, what we've been doing in the fall has been huge to me to see that. Um, so I've been excited about that. We're taking November off. Um, and then, you know, we'll talk about the new hitting facility soon, but that should be ready in December. So 
that thing's really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll definitely let's talk about that. But before we get to it, I want to talk about what you just mentioned, which is that and we should preface this by saying that winning in high school sports doesn't necessarily mean that a program is successful. Um, that being said, having stability for coaches and kind of building a quote unquote winning program often results in wins on the field too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't necessarily guarantee it, but it usually somewhat results in it. And so uh, the best I can look up for the last eight years that OSA has records for seaside softball, I, I haven't found uh, any uh, even double digit winning seasons, um, let alone like a winning record season. Uh, and then there's just been a lot of turnover there at the mm-hmm. softball head coaching job. So you you took over, you had one year, COVID hit, now we're back. So this is a really big question, but what's your big picture plan to help make Seaside Softball what you would consider to be a successful or a winning program? That's a great question. And I've thought a lot about that since I first got involved. I think one, it starts with stability and consistency so that we need to have somebody involved and that's going to stay involved. After my first head coach season at our uh, end of the year banquet, I I said, I'm going to coach Joel or coach Derek's we call him. And I are going to set a record, you know, we're going to come back next year. So we're going to have two years under our belt, you know, so just kind of like this joke. Um, and I, you know, we haven't had a winning season. I think there was something like six head coach in seven different years or something. Um, we were cleaning out the high school. We, we have a new high school now. And I found in the trophy case, the one softball trophy was for league champs in like 86 or something like that, you know, like before I was born. So, um, <laughs> so I think it really just, I think it comes down to consistency, but um, building up the program from the bottom up with the youth programs and building up that excitement um, and giving kids the basic skills they need to, to build on that when they get to the high school level. We've been doing a lot of teaching kids in high school things that they should have known already. And so I think it really just starts from the ground up and building excitement and putting youth coaches in in positions to be successful to be able to do that. I was really lucky and I had the same head coach, Chris Lee, all four years of high school and it was never a question if he'd be back the next year or not. But uh, it is really hard, I think, for high school kids if they keep seeing their coach leaving and another coach comes in and then the next year there's a new coach. And so Mm -hmm. I think just the stability and consistency piece is so important, especially at the high school level and having kids who, who see you day in and day out for four years and they know that you're there and that you're going to do kind of everything that you can to help them be successful. I think that builds a lot of, I guess, faith from Mm -hmm. athletes. Yeah, I totally agree. And we've seen, that reflected in our numbers. You know, I think baseball has close to 30 kids in their program every single spring, but these last three years that I've been involved as assistant and then two years as, as head, I don't even know if I can count COVID as my a head coaching year, but <laughs> yeah, it's been a weird one. I'm not sure if it counts or not. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I'm in year five or year four. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's, let's count it. We did preseason. We did nine <laughs> yeah, days of in season and postseason. Um, but, you know, we've had between 18 and like 21 girls in the program. And then if somebody's sick, you know, we have to try to, we have to stack all of our JV and varsity games so they're not playing at the same time. Um, it's really important to me to make sure that we have a JV program. There's, there's another team or two in our league that have chosen not to have JV, but they're in the same situation that I'm in, you know, with 18 to 21 girls. But that means that some of those girls don't get to play or hardly ever get to play. Um So it's really important to me to try to make sure that we have those opportunities. My first year as head coach, our JV program only had like 10 10 scheduled games. And I worked hard with our athletic director to try to manufacture some more opportunities for them. Um, And that's just, it's really important to me that we get those kids to play. They they come out, they work hard, they need to get to play too. Um, 
And so that's something else that, you know, I think we only build, we build the program by giving kids the opportunity to play at all levels, high school, JV, um, and the youth programs. So just trying to make sure we can work that out. And our our athletic director that we have now, and the one I had my first year as assistant coach, they've both been great about trying to make sure we can schedule in those JV games and, and, and work with the other districts to um, stack the games because it's not easy. You know, they've got travel time and we've got umpires who might not want to work later into the night. Um, But so far it's worked pretty good. Well, that's one of the things that's creeping into both baseball and softball in Oregon, even in some really storied programs on the baseball side where over the last maybe 10 or 12 years, they went from having three full teams to, okay, now they just have the JV and the varsity teams. Okay, now they just have a varsity team. And then the varsity team has, you know, 17 kids or 18 kids. And so you're having four or five kids who might even just be freshmen who are just kind of along for the ride. They're practicing, but they don't really get to play. Mm-hmm. Having that light, that they, that opportunity to play, because ultimately that's what the kids want to do. We can give it lip service and say, no, they just, they're here to get better and they want to play their senior year and be good. But if you're not playing as a freshman or as a sophomore in any games, your experience is not going to, I don't know, at least mm-hmm. if, if I think back to my time as a high school kid, I would not have played. <laughs> I would have right. been like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not here to just practice every day and be your scout team guy. Yeah. The fun part's playing the game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hopefully, hopefully a lot of it's fun, but that's where a lot of the memories are made. Yeah, exactly. So let's get into the youth side then, because that is um, kind of the, in the similar deal we've at South Salem, we've seen kind of some programs around here in Salem who have been on that trend of losing teams and down to only a you know, varsity team or maybe down to just two teams. And so one of the things we saw is we really need to build up a youth program. So we've we've been doing that over the last couple of years, and it's been really successful. And I think that's, I think if coaches are listening and they're trying to figure out how to build a program, I think probably the number one place to go is to start building up the youth side of it. And that's something that you've been working really hard to do. Um, So what is your involvement with the youth program? How did it start? Uh, What do you do with youth players to try to help build them up to help kind of make your program ultimately be successful farther down the line? Yeah. Um, So when I, when I first got here and I was teaching that fifth grade class, I had that student um, in my class and her dad reached out to me and he actually reached out, you know, for some private lessons. And then he and two of the other um, softball coach dads took me out to dinner one night and they were like, well, you know, something about softball, will you please, you know, come work with our youth programs? Will you kind of head it up? Will you give us direction? Um, Will you go, we have a program called Seaside Kids. Um, It's this wonderful group that that uh, raises money so that all of our youth can play for free and that includes tournament ball actually which is like when they told me that I was like uh that's crazy um so yeah so we have a lot of different opportunities for kids in town to play for free with football and um some basketball softball baseball they do some free swimming um evenings at the local pool um so just a lot of really neat things so they Originally, I was brought in from that dad to work with the youth programs, and then the athletic director heard, and that's how I got involved in high school. But um, so, so since I first moved here a couple of years ago, I've been kind of like the liaison for softball um, with our youth programming. Um, I organize the different teams. I hold meetings, usually starting in January once a month um, through the beginning of their seasons to make sure that they don't have any barriers that are going to hold them back. Um, I try to make sure that they have the gears that they the gear that they need. Um, I try to help run their tryouts and give them direction there on how to how to do that and how to communicate with parents and kids about what teams kids made. I try to make sure that I can fill out any gym or field re- reservation or request that they have to do. You know, there's, as with any youth program, you know, after a couple of years, 
parents, their, their kids age out and so they don't get involved anymore. So I'm really just trying to get ready for that like next generation. Um, we've had some really wonderful coaches at our 10U program that are, you know, up and coming. And so trying to re to build for them so that they can sustain, you know, through 14U or higher, and then just kind of make that a cyclical process. But I really just want to make sure that there's no barriers for them there. I also do open gym pitching sessions, and that usually starts in December, sometimes in January, the last few years. And I run those through March, and it's two to three times a week. And anybody from the community can come. It's free. All pitchers, all ages are welcome. And I usually give like a little mini lesson at the beginning, run them through their drills, go give them corrections, act as a catcher if I need to, if, if they need me to. Um, and then just try to work on the mindset with them there. Um, and then also we've done tournaments the last several years. Um, and they had started that before I came. I think they had one tournament a year before that. And the last few years, we've done three tournaments a summer through NAFA. So those have been really successful. We've had a lot of teams come and we've had four different locations for our tournaments because we don't have like an actual complex, you know, with four different fields. So that's a lot of work and we have a lot of good, um, a lot of good parent support there to run those tournaments. Those are the ways I've been trying to get involved and stay involved with the youth programs. It's been a, it's been a big part of what I've done here. Um, Maybe probably even bigger than what I've done with the high school program. I feel like as far as like time commitment and just not necessarily like where my heart is, but just, I know how important it is, you know, growing up, playing on youth programs, seeing, you know, sometimes you see politics. I'm sure you saw politics growing up on different teams and coaches maybe not getting along with each other or coaches and parents not getting along. And I just really want to try to foster this community feel with our softball programs and that everybody feels supported and has what they need and that um, we're all going in the same direction together. I think it started maybe with like AAU basketball where, like youth teams started becoming way more privatized and more expensive. And then it's creeped into other sports as well. It's crept into baseball, but I think it crept into softball first where um, for a lot of younger kids and their families, if they don't have money, they tend to get priced out of playing softball at an early age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the the seaside kids that you mentioned, I think is so important and the, the access to you as a coach as well just giving kids a chance to play locally and not have to shell over thousands of dollars a year to play softball uh, with, you know, promises of recruiting and you're going to be this good and we're going to go play in all these tournaments. And I think it's really important to have access like that for families who otherwise would be priced out of the, you know, elite travel type of a program that's available otherwise. Oh, totally. And I I reflect back on my own experience. You know, I took that summer off after my freshman year and, and prior to that, I'd only played on teams in the Dells. Um, which is great because I grew up with the kids I played with in high school. Um, but from then on, and I've seen this, I've seen this happen here. And I think it's perhaps a little different for, for a little bit of a different reason, just because of the the turnover with high school programming and stuff. But, you know, in my community growing up, our, our team that I played with kind of fell apart. You know, I think there was a little bit of politics going on and then, you know, kids just kind of sometimes start to lose interest. Kind of like you also mentioned you did at that age where you just needed a year off. And so, it's hard to go back to summer ball when you've had a team that you've been together with doesn't want to play. Cause then you're only going to have like, you know, six kids who want to play. And so um, I've done some, I have had some really good conversations with our local coaches here of how do we sustain it through 14 U and up. Um, and we've had a couple kids go, you know, and play in Portland. And if, if we can't provide it here, if we don't have the numbers, you know, please go play, play somewhere, do something. Um, and we also have um, just North of us up in Warrington. There's a, there's a large, 
um, an incredible softball program called the Merchants, and that's run by their high school coach, Stacey Meathy. And she and I have had, she and I have had some really wonderful conversations about building programs and potentially working together to try to sustain through the 14 and up level. Um, and she's already done that in her community, but I'm just trying to look at how can I do that here? How can we partner up? Um, because I do have kids who want to play, but just, you know, it's hard when, you know, you have some of that drop off at 14 you and up. So just trying to manufacture some different opportunities at all the different levels, even if I can't provide that here with our youth programming, finding them somewhere they can play if they want to play. It is funny that it happens at the high school level um, where it's so different from from baseball. I mean, we have a ton of kids that go and play for all sorts of travel teams, and I think all baseball programs do. But the the summer baseball program at the high school level is still very much active and alive. But there's it, it seems like there aren't, from the outside looking in, it seems like there aren't high school summer softball teams that are just, like, for example, that just be seaside girls playing mm-hmm. for them. Right. And it's just, it's so strange because growing up, that's for baseball. That's what we had. And that's basically the model we still have. I can see it kind of starting to change. uh, But that's kind of how it's always been. It's so so strange to see. I'll, you know, I'll ask some of our softball girls, you know, what what do you do in the summer? And, you know, seven of them will have seven different answers for what team they're playing for. Mm -hmm. That's really true. And I can't speak, having never lived in Portland or Salem or a bigger city. Um, I can't speak to like having a bunch of opportunities. I ended up having to play for Portland teams out of the Dells. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. Because I wanted to get back into it. And two of my, two of the kids I played with growing up were like, well, we're going to go play for this team. Do you want to come? And I was like, sure, I'll come. And I played for a summer on one team called the Fireballs. And then the next two summers I played for the Red Heat and they were out of Hillsborough. And I started getting in with that team by doing some private pitching lessons with um, Steve Reynolds, the the head coach of that program and really liked him. And he's, you know, I talked about going from being a good player naturally to really working at it. You know, my parents were shelling out some money for me to go and work with Steve. And so that was for me, you know, my parents didn't spend a bunch of money on frivolous things. And so that was a motivator for me. And um, so I started traveling I didn't play basketball after my freshman year of high school, but during the winter I would go and um, I would go see Steve like, you know, like two times a week and we would work on pitching for an hour and I'd also get in, getting in, getting in a hitting lesson with him. And that's where I just really got motivated to do it um, because I wanted to get better. And, you know, before then my dad and I just made it up. We made up pitching. We're like, this looks right. Like this, I'm throwing pretty fast, you know, or I learned a flip change, you know, and then I get to the age where, I'm like 16 and working with this wonderful pitching coach and he has to correct all these things about my mechanics because one, my body's hurting and I have a lot of injuries that I still have today. Like I might, like I could just go on and on about all the ways my body's been impacted because I didn't have a pitching coach until I was 16. Um, but he took me from good to great. And, um, I I'd love to see us be able to do that here in our own community because I didn't have that growing up. I had to travel, you know, two hours each way on a school night um, to go get that. And I wanted it. And my parents were so supportive in it, but I'd love to provide that here. So kids don't have to go do that. You know? Well, that's just the thing, right? Is that most parents very well-meaning maybe don't have the knowledge that other people do and, but you have access to your parents all the time. And so when you're building a youth program, kind of, I've, I've found that usually the people that are going to be your coaches are going to be the parents, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like most youth programs probably don't have many thousands of dollars where they can go recruit, uh, you know, and pay all these youth coaches. So usually it ends up being uh, parents. Have you found that to be the same? And if so, how do you kind of train them? I honestly have been so lucky 
you know, when I first started here and working with those three dads, they're just wonderful. They just want the best for their kids. And they'll just say like, I don't know, like, what do I do here? They ask wonderful questions and you know, I don't know everything either. And so, um, it's kind of this experience for us where like, if I don't know, I find out or I ask somebody who does know. Um, but I've been very lucky to, to be in a community where there's so much support for our youth programs and it has been primarily parents and that's worked out really well. We have a really great group of parents and it's not just like one or two at each level, it's several. Um, and I'm really seeing that, you know, this year with our, our 10 year program, we had three to four different parents who were coming um, and they all know something different about softball. And so um, that's how they're building. That's how they're building their team. You know, like everybody's got a different thing that they can bring to the team. Um yeah, I've just been really lucky. They're like legitimately just good people and not just the coaches, but also the parents. So doing those tournaments we've run the last couple of years, like, yeah, sometimes it's scant. You're like, who wants to check the porta potty to make sure there's toilet paper, you know, but somebody always does. And, um, I've been very fortunate to walk into a community that has so much support there. Um, I try to look for, you know, parents that have a skill set and, and help them out with the things that they don't know or share, um, you know, like my accounts to get into my different coaching video programs I have. Um, but I really just want to look for people who have the right temperament and character as well. Not just, you know, the knowledge, but also, um, what have I heard about them as a person? So like this spring before COVID, I guess it would have been like this January, I started reaching out. I reached out to John Rawl actually, who's, um, who got you in contact with me and a couple others because I'd heard wonderful things about their character. You know, I'd heard that they played baseball or softball growing up. Um, and so just really trying to find those gems, not necessarily just picking up whoever comes to me, um, but really trying to find somebody who can be a good head coach and a good leader at the different levels. Um, because that's so important. We have to have um, a good, strong leader who has the same vision as our high school programs. We do. And one of the things that you said in there is so, uh, so glaringly awesome. And it's that as coaches, we don't know everything. And so the ability to tell somebody if they have a question, hey, I don't know but I'll try to find out. I think it's really important. And it's something that some of us sometimes forget and egos can get in the way of that too. But even as the head coach, of the program and kind of as the, essentially the leader of the youth program for other people to hear you say that, I think builds so much rapport. Mm-hmm. I'll be the first to admit, I don't know it all. I've gone to a coaching clinic up in Seattle the last couple of years and each year or most of the years I've gone, um, a team from Monsanto, Washington, um, has gone. And I've been so impressed with the program that they've built. And of course, it's been many years in the making. But one thing that I've noticed that they do really well that I've been trying to emulate, you know, slowly is that they have, they have like six or seven coaches for their high school program. And they've all been like recruited from different athletic programs at the high school. So there's like two football coaches who have, who didn't even play baseball, you know, but they can do strength and conditioning. And then they've trained themselves up on how to be fantastic outfield coaches. So I'm, I try to do that here too. So like with our high school program, the year I was the assistant coach, you know, I didn't have much control over that, but that following year, I made sure we started with a clean slate and that we, we could have people who would put relationships first with kids, but then also could bring something to the table. Um, so our, our head baseball coach, Joel Derricks, um, had retired the, the previous spring and, um, he was just ready for a change. And, I, I had no other coaches and it's like the middle of January and I just had faith, like something's going to come. You know, I had a couple of youth program dads that didn't even have kids in high school yet that I was like, well, I bet they'd come on. I can get them pizza here and there. They'll come on. Um, but, but somebody suggested, well, why don't you ask Joel if he'll come on? And I was like, okay. So, and he was, he was more than happy to, he said, I want, I want to keep coaching. I just don't want that head coach role anymore. 
And so Joel brings so much knowledge. And even though it was baseball knowledge, a lot of it transfers to softball. You know, I don't care who you are. A lot of it does transfer to softball. And so he's brought a lot to the table there um, with hitting and with um, our infield. And so that same year, I also um, was lucky enough to find another college softball player who was a few years out of, out of college, who was an outfielder. And so she was our outfield specialist. Um, and then I, you know, I feel really good about my hitting techniques and I feel fantastic about teaching pitching. And so that's, we kind of divvied it up that way. So that's what I'm trying to emulate at the high school level. And then I also have a volunteer assistant named Josh, who's just fantastic. And he, he coached in Utah a team that won the state championship. So, and he, honestly, he knows more about softball than I do. If I have a question about a rule, I just text Josh and I can rely on him to tell me how it really works, you know, and he's just, he's fantastic. And the, the really, the biggest thing for me there with those three different coaches that I mentioned is that I just trust them fully. Like I know they're not, you know, I know they're, they'll tell me how they really feel. I know I can say, what do you think about this? And they're going to actually tell me what they think. They're not going to just be like, oh, that sounds great, you know? And so um, I feel really good about the coaching staff we have at the high school and I see that just happening with our youth programs too. You know, we're getting really good people to come on board and they're all trying to bring something different to the table. Well, the dirty secret of being a high school head coach is that <laughs> you need really amazing assistant coaches that do some really amazing things and you give them, like you said, give them complete trust and faith to do what you hired them to do and just let them go and have conversations along the way. But uh, having great assistant coaches is, I think, basically other than being consistent and keeping your job is I think the most important thing for a high school program. Mm-hmm. We had, uh, you mentioned that team that you've, you've heard about and they've, you know, have six or seven coaches on their staff. And it, similarly, we've hired, we've had coaches who aren't even really baseball coaches on our staff who end up being some of our most important coaches. We have one in particular, Matt Doyle, he's been an assistant for me for the last few years. He's coached baseball a few times over his, over his life, but he doesn't have great baseball knowledge. He wasn't like a you know big time player or anything like that. But he's a, a military veteran. He's a football coach, and having him around and he and he's willing to learn. So he's become a really good coach of catchers. He never caught in high school. He doesn't. He didn't know anything about catching, but he's learned. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy who, because of his background with the military and and football, he can kind of talk to kids and pull them aside and kind of motivate them in ways that I certainly couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a really untapped thing that maybe a lot of programs or coaches haven't really considered yet is that you don't have to have a softball coach to coach softball, especially mm-hmm. as an assistant, just the ability to bring in people from different backgrounds can all, can all kind of bring something to the table. And like you said, if they're willing to learn, like it makes all the difference and it can be a really successful group of assistants. Oh, totally. Totally. We had a situation where I, I one of, one of the members from my coaching staff has to leave the program and talking to the athletic director. And, um, he was like, Oh, I know this thinks it's hard to find, um, coaches in our community. I said, yes, but it's even harder to bring, find softball coaches in this community. And he laughed, but, um, we're going to, you know, we're going to find some great fits to fill that role. But yeah, I totally agree. And I think, and I'm already trying to picture, like, as you're talking about that, I'm picturing like, who else could I bring in? Like, I'm just daydreaming right now. (laughs) And, they, and the the other secret is they have to be willing to like accept, you know, a free sweatshirt as pay sometimes. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I feel, cool. I feel it all. The, one of the worst parts is when I'm, you know, looking to hire a coach or if someone wants to coach with us and I think they'd be a good fit and we go to have the conversation. Usually the very first thing I tell them before we even sit down to talk is like, Hey, just so you know, <laughs> like, yeah, we don't exactly have money for you. So you, mm-hmm. I mean, in order to agree to this, like you're, you're, 
basically agreeing to spend countless hours of your life and get pretty much nothing in return except for like a free meal at McDonald's when we, we go to away games. <laughs> <laughs> like, kind of bump here and there. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's not a whole lot in it for you financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, you know, that in itself can take some coaches away for a lot of reasons, but yeah, it's finding good assistant coaches is both hard, but at the same time, when you find good ones, it just makes a world of difference. Mm-hmm. Totally. So let's dive into one of the coolest things. And I had to look it up before this because I wanted to see the progress on it. And let me just say, I'm incredibly jealous <laughs> of what you guys are building there. Um, for a lot of reasons, we aren't able to to build an indoor facility, but what you're doing up there at Seaside is beautiful. And so can you talk to us about the indoor facility that's almost done and what's going to mean to your program and how it all came about in the first place? Yeah, we were super close. So like people keep texting me like, is it open yet? Um, so let's see. I guess this is a this is a facility that's been a dream for many 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 years here. Um, of course, I've only been here a couple years, and we've talked about it here and there. Um, a couple different dads and coaches have said, "Well, we want to kind of get this going." And I'm like, "I'll help you," but I've never like I don't you know I'm not written grants. I'm not a construction worker. Like you just let me know what you need, right? And so um, last spring, um, one of our amazing youth program coaches, Chris Quarter, who owns a construction company, um, and business, um, came to the table and said, I'm ready to do this. Here are some blueprints. Um, I've already got, you know, all these things in place. And so I was like, cool, what do you need from me? And so, um, he worked with our parks and rec director, Skylar Archibald here in town. And, uh, we went to several different city of seaside meetings and talked about, um, where it would be placed, which was on city of seaside property. And so, you know, there was a lot of meetings of planning and, um, asking about usage and how it would benefit the community and, you know, be accessible to the community and not just um, our youth programs and our high school programs. Um, it also was from the very beginning, well, not beginning, beginning, but like last fall, one of my softball players, Candace Flag, it was her Pacifica project, which is a senior project for her. So she was heavily involved um, in going to the meetings and, and going to different fundraising events and, and doing so much for the project. Um, so it's really been a, a group effort for sure, but I just have to give public praise to Chris Quarter um, because he's been an incredible project manager for it. And one of his favorite phrases is pedal down. And he just has been pedal down to the ground like this whole time since last fall with this. From May until now, so May was our groundbreaking ceremony. Um, we didn't have too many delays due to COVID, you know, because the construction could still happen. But May was our groundbreaking ceremony. And um, basically during the construction process, which is all, almost done, there's a few small things to finish up. We've had so many local businesses and different contractors, you know, we've had heating, a heating company come in and put in heated floors and the system for that. We've had plumbers and electricians and drywallers and painters and so many different people donate their time and materials on this building. That's, you know, over $200,000, I think. And I should have texted Chris before this, but I think it's like $250,000. But he might have to correct me on that. So it's just been an incredible community effort um, that's been facilitated by Chris Um, There's been a lot behind the scenes right now. We're wrapping up just some of the smaller, you know, the smaller things, but that are really big and and we want to have in place before we open up and, you know, how can we ensure equity, this, the scheduling process, what that looks like getting waivers signed for kids in addition to COVID waivers, the rules, how do we set up our youth, uh, our youth programs to use it um, successfully and clean it up and take pride in it. And, and how it's going to end up working with our scheduling is that Brett, our new head baseball coach, and I are going to work on uh, scheduling in our youth programs based on what times they've requested. 
it's been, it's been an incredible effort to watch happen and to be a part of. Um, we're just wrapping up some, some more gear orders. You know, I keep thinking of little things we need. So I'll hop on Amazon in the middle of the night and be like, band-aids, you know, <laughs> um, breakable ice packs, you know, all these little things we need. Um, but we're, we're like swinging for the fences on this. We got, we got brand new, we got, oh, what's the kind of machine we got for baseball? I'm not a baseball coach, so I don't remember the name. I'll have to look attack it up. Attack maybe or spinball machine. Yeah, it's it's the it's the attack one. Yeah. Yeah, hack attack. Hack attack. Yeah, it's fancy. <laughs> it's so fancy. And then we got some some new jugs machines that, you know, they didn't jugs did not throw change ups and rise balls and curves and drops and all that stuff when I was growing up. So to see that it was just it was like fun to play with it last week when we were setting it up. So yeah, we should be ready to roll with the facility like fully going in the second week of December. Um, that's our you know, we've had to push it back a little bit due to different things. And because it is pretty much a volunteer effort to get it done, it's dependent on that. And, you know, we just had hunting season and so there's some delays there, but we're getting close. We're so close. And it's been fun to be a part of. And in fact, this morning I sent a video, you know, like I did like a 360 video and I sent it to my college pitching coach, Jamie Strens, um, as we were texting about other things. And she was just like drooling, you know, she can't wait to come up and do a clinic up here with me inside the facility. So going to be incredible it's going to make a big difference especially the climate here in salem oregon is bad enough but uh up in seaside even you know late spring can still be pretty uh an interesting climate for oh, having yeah. softball games and dirt and so having the ability to move indoors and have your own facility for it and mm-hmm. this, and, and you guys are building a big one yeah i looked at the pictures of it that is not a small little like one cage or little you know, one and a half cage type of a facility. That thing is going to make a huge difference for your kids for forever, really. Yeah. Well, and the, the really neat thing for me is, you know, because I've done those those pitching open gyms from like December to March every year, we have to fight for gym space. You know, sometimes I have to go at 7 a.m. And, and, and there's not a lot of kids and families that want to go at 7 a.m. for, you know, open gym. So we've had to fight for some gym space there. We have a very, um, we have a very successful and, and big youth basketball program and we don't have enough gyms for that as it is. And so to have our own facility now where we don't have to negotiate or try to squiggle in some time will be, will be incredible. And then, I know, all about that. We have, for the last few years, we've always done, uh, we've had to hit at like eight or nine o'clock at night because during the off season we'd have, uh, youth basketball programs that would be using the gyms and, you know, our batting cages and stuff are up in the gym. And so we'd have a basically hit from nine to 11 o'clock at night on school night. So, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> having an indoor yeah. facility, I can understand like, in the random times having to go in the morning sometimes as well, just isn't mm-hmm. really as conducive to kind of a player development environment. Mm-hmm. It reminds you when you were talking about it of, we go to Idaho pretty much every year for our spring break baseball tournament trip. Mm-hmm. and one year we were there and it had snowed and so I got in contact with a guy that I knew who had a, coached the team there and they had an indoor facility and we went and hit at it and uh, while we were hitting it I was just kind of talking to him and it sounds somewhat similar to what you were you've been talking about where they started building it and then people started showing up to donate more things so he was like you know someone at one point watched that they were building it and showed up and it was an alumni who said hey you guys want heat can I come in and put insulation to heat in and he's like yeah, mm-hmm. of course and it just like piece by piece people started coming from all over the place and willing to donate either their time their money or um, any you know special service that they're able to do uh, and it's one of the things that I'm, I'm jealous of not just because you're having an indoor facility but because kind of being in a one high school city 
like that kind of lends itself to having more availability to people that are willing to help when you're building something like that. I think it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Anyway, just the indoor facility is awesome. <laughs> Come see it It's good. I, I will. I'm, I'm really excited. I actually know Ross, who was the interim head coach. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, so whenever that thing's done, I, I would like to definitely <laughs> come up there and see it and steal the plans and try to find a way to convince our school district to let us build something. Because <laughs> so, uh, it, yeah. it's going to make such a huge difference for you guys, especially, you know, you talked about stability and consistency. But then even just having for for young people, the allure of a facility, I think is going to help even more with building the program, just in the sense of when you have cool stuff, people want to be part of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when they come as youth players and get to play or not play, but uh, get to hit and and pitch in that. And as they grow up, they'll just, it's, it's, it's part of them now. And Mm -hmm. I think it'll be a really cool part of your, your program long after you're gone and the baseball coach is gone. It'll just be part of seaside sports forever, which Mm -hmm. is really cool. Yeah, like you're building a legacy there. It's awesome. Yeah. It's going to be the home for baseball and softball. And we've already designated a spot that's going to be the trophy case. And, you know, we're going to put that 1986 softball yes. trophy up there, the one trophy. And then, you know, all of our youth teams, they can put their trophies up there too. And I, it's kind of a smaller ledge, I think, you know, because we're going to, we're going to be putting some trophies up there. So um, it'll, it'll be fun for the kids to see like at all levels, because it's a facility for all levels about the traditions we're going to build from, from the, you know, the, the lowest level of our age groups all the way up through high school. So it'll be cool. And I'm, I'm very <laughs> excited for you and your girls and your program and the baseball program and the youth kids. It's going to be awesome. I wanted to, to dive in and kind of finish by going to talk about culture for a little bit, uh, because I think building a program from the ground up, which is essentially what you're doing, culture is a huge part of that. Obviously, building a youth program plays into it. Getting the right coaches in place plays a part of it. But then ultimately, what you talk about with your players and what types of activities and things you do with them also builds into it. So can you kind of talk about what the culture was like when you got there and how you've tried to kind of build a culture that fits in with what you kind of see as the future of Seaside Softball? Yeah. You know, it's always always interesting coming in for your first year, especially at the high school level, you know, when kids have had a different coach for X number of years. I think the group of seniors we had the first year I was in the program as an assistant, I think they'd have a different, I think they had a different coach every single year. I don't think that they had the coach who was there two years in a row during that span, but I could be wrong. But I'm, so, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of buy-in for the new people that were coaching the program, I think from that level, but, you know, just trying to build on some, some different traditions. And one of my very favorite teachers, he was my mentor teacher when I was learning how to be a teacher. He's also a coach down in Falls City, Mike Kidd. Um, He told me my first year teaching, like, don't try to do every single thing really well. Um, Try to pick a few things to do really well. And then next year, build on that. And then you'll be great at those few things. And then you can be great at another few things. So since I first started with the program, a few things I've I've tried to, to bring in have all come from different coaches that I've had that I really liked. And, you know, if I, if I sat down, I'm sure I made a list my first year of like all the things I wanted to do, you know, everything, you know, and then you have to pick a few. Um, It's hard to pick just the few that um, you want to focus on, but um, some, you know, just trying to build some different traditions with the team. One thing that my high school volleyball program did that I was, uh, I was a player on was we always had a team motto and like a team cheer we did before games. And it really centered on like, who are we as people and who are we as players? It wasn't just like, you know, I'm sure you've heard all the annoying softball cheers. They're fun. (laughs) You know, they build, they build some momentum with the game, but but this was meant to be more like, this is who we are. This is what our program's about. And so that's something that we started um, my first year as head coach. And the girls would say that before every single game. They would get in a circle. 
Um, and they incorporated words that were important that they decided for themselves were important for them to emulate and to be. And those are words that throughout the season, I would, I would, you know, put on like a table and I would have them rate themselves. Like if you were to rate yourself right now on this characteristic, like hardworking, where would you rate yourself on a scale of one to five? Where would your teammates rate you right now? Where would your coach rate you right now? Um, and trying to see if there's any discrepancies there. So that's one thing is trying to build that team motto from words that they think are important, that they actually, so that they have buy-in, right? It's not just me saying, this is our team motto. This is what I want you to be. It's, it's no, what do you want? What do you want your team to be? And what are you going to hold each other accountable for? You know, just really trying to build fun around the sport and consistency, um, but fun. You know, these kids have had for the high school level, so many different coaches. And so to be there, to be consistent with them and to also be somebody who can have some fun with them, um, I think is really important. I think it's motivating when you have um, coaches that you work with that can be goofy sometimes, but also know how to get down to business. And so that's something that I try to do as well. Um, And sometimes it's hard for me to rein it in because I was class clown my senior year of high school and relationships are super important to me. So trying to have that fine line and fine balance, you know, still pushing them to be their best, but also creating those relationships. I really liked what Coach Grizzly was saying in the, the episode I listened to from you guys about how players are like rocks and marbles and marshmallows. That's something I'm really trying to learn about and really trying to figure out these girls, you know. I've only been here a couple of years, and especially these high school girls, you know, they're at a point in their lives where you say the wrong thing and it's super impactful. So trying to figure out how to treat everybody the same but also different, like Coach Grizzly was talking about, I think is really important. Um, it's something I'm working on. It is important. I think one of the things you said, too, is also really important for coaches to understand, which is um, you basically just said that one of the important things essentially is to be yourself and know, like you said, you're the goofball. And so it's important to know who you are. I think it's really important for players to see you be who you truly are. And so like if you were trying to be a a hard ass all the time, they'd probably see through it because... Mm That's not who you really are at your core. At the same time, I struggle with the same thing because I like to goof around a lot and tell jokes and just have fun. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I struggle, like you said, I kind of struggle sometimes with, okay, I need to rein it back right now because <laughs> I need to make sure that we're focused on what we're actually trying to do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I st- I catch myself like, okay, we, I, I, and then everyone starts kind of joking around and joking off and then I'm like, oh shoot, like I, yes. I have devolved this situation that I should not, we were doing great stuff. And then all of a sudden I just step in and try to be the funny guy or oh be my myself God. basically. We're like the same person. Like I, I feel that <laughs> way like the same time um, or all the time. So I'm really trying to figure out how to, how to have that balance. And then, you know, you have new players. And so trying to figure out yeah. like how to interact with the new freshmen and, you know, this fall, you know, we've had a group that are, that are coming in, but I didn't really get a chance this spring to actually get to know them. Like I've worked with them a little bit in the youth programs or seen them around, but it's totally different. You know, you really have to get to know these kids on a different level every year you have a new batch, you know, being myself, being goofy and all that stuff, I think is important to be myself. And part of that is that I just, you know, I, in my personal life, I will throw out some curse words, but this is just not the way that I am on the field. And I, I've always felt strongly, even as a player that I want to conduct myself in a way that like my grandparents would be proud of and that my family would be proud of. Um, so even if I'm a goofball and I was the class clown and, you know, I might, curse a little bit here and there in my personal life. You're not going to catch me doing that on the field as a coach. I'm not going to curse at the players. I don't, I don't yell at them. I might have a stern talking to if we're not, you know, putting in our best effort, but that's just not really who I am. And I really hope to never be that coach. Um, I didn't really have a lot of coaches who did that growing up, but 
it's just, it's important to me to, to be able to remain true to myself. And I know that there's some players that respond well, you know, with some yelling or cursing or whatever, but um, it's just not really me in that, in that role. And I think part of that is because, you know, I'm an elementary school teacher. I got to rein it in. <laughs> so <laughs> I think true. that's part of my training. Um, but my first year when I was the assistant coach, we were playing a team in our league who they're not in our league anymore, but they were really competitive. And they were also like really intense. And we're this team that, you know, doesn't win. They're used to like bowling us over, but we were actually staying in the game. We were right in there with them. And one of their players came in and she slid into home and we got her out fair and square. And as she was getting up, she need our catcher in the back. And that is just something like I cannot stand. And so that was probably like halfway through our season that year. And I just all of a sudden, like, like an elementary teacher was like, not okay, not okay. You know, like shouting and their coach is like, what? And I was like, she's kicking at her. And she's like, no, she's not. And I went out and had a very respectful conversation with the umpire. And I said, he's like, I didn't see it. And I said, well, I would ask that you watch for it. You know, like I'm intense, I'm angry, but like, you're not going to be physically hurting my players. Um, So after that game, I remember the girls all being like, Ooh, like you don't mess with her. She's going to, she's our mama bear. And, and that's, that, that's the level I'll take it to. Like, you're not going to, you're not going to hurt us um, physically and you're not going to treat us badly like that. But I've always felt strongly that it's okay to be outplayed, but it's not okay to be outclassed. And that's something that I make sure that my players know that it's not something that I would accept if they're cursing out on the field, if they're conducting themselves in a way that's disrespectful um, we always high five the opponent, except during COVID. <laughs> so um, making sure that we always have class, even when we're disappointed, even when we're mad, even if the other people aren't treating us the same way, that we conduct ourselves in a way that at the end of the day, we're going to be proud of, win or lose. It reminds me, I'm, I'm kind of similar in that way where uh, I don't yell very much. And when I do yell, I almost feel like it's insincere, like I'm having to really... <laughs> yeah really like find something deep to, to yell. Like I've had parents before who have not really upset with me, but who've said that, you know, I don't, I don't yell at the umpires enough or get on them enough. And I'm like, well, it's just not, it's not what I do. Like I expect us and our team to just overcome whatever issue is happening. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's, it's really hard to get past like, well, it's my personality and that's how I am. And I think it's important that coaches know that whatever your personality is, is great and just roll with it. And you can, you can build your team and make it work and still have individual players and treat people differently, but um, you don't have to act like you're somebody that you're not. Mm-hmm. That'd be exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> it would be. Uh, well, I've, I've loved having you on. We're, we're nearing the hour mark. So I wanted to kind of uh, slow us down a little bit and just see if there's anything maybe we we didn't cover that you wanted to to share or something you think maybe a coach would benefit from uh, as we kind of round out our conversation today. I think the only last thing, it's one of the, the biggest things, it's, is mindset. And that's part of the game that I didn't really pay attention to until I was a sophomore in college. And I had a wonderful pitching coach who came into our program that year named Jamie Strens, and she lives down um, near Salem right now, and she runs a program. And she's come up here, and she did a pitching clinic with um, our local teams this last January, and she's just a great individual. Well, anyways, in my sophomore year of college, um, I was struggling, and so was another pitcher, and so much so that our head coach told us, you know, if you don't get your act together, you're going to lose your scholarship, and you're not coming back next year. We just, we were hitting batters. We weren't hitting our spots. Um, we were timid all the time. And because of that, because we were frightened that we were going to lose our scholarships and, you know, that coach was going to come out and holler at us. Um, you know, we were doing worse because of it. And our mental game was like in the toilet. And so coach Jamie, um, she bought the book, 
Mind Gym for us. And she gave it to all the pitchers in the program. And have you read Mind Gym? I've heard of it. I have not read it. You would love it. There's so many stories that come from baseball. Um, I would say most of the stories come from baseball. I think you got to pick up a copy. Um, she gave us the book and I started reading it. I think like on a road trip, we were having down to California to play in a spring break tournament. And I kid you not, I read just a couple chapters and the very next day my game was transformed. I was a totally different player. And this was like uh, maybe a third of the way through my sophomore season of college. Um, and it really just helped me see that, um, my mind game is the most impactful thing. It doesn't matter, um, if my pitch is off or if it's on, or, you know, if I had a bad day, it matters like how I approach every single moment. And there are so many little tidbits that I took from that book, um, that I really, I try to teach, but I also love that book so much that this spring I bought it for the whole team. And then of course we had coronavirus. So I said, well, that's your homework, you know, read my gym. But um, my book is just, it's just littered with highlights and, and different teachings that I try to bring back. I had a couple extra copies this spring and I dropped them off at some of the youth kids' houses. But I think just the importance of teaching kids that it's not just about having the right swing and it's not about having the right wrist flick when you're pitching. It's not about, it is a little bit about that, right? But it's a lot about your mindset and about your attitude and your effort. And so I think that's a big thing that coaches need to make sure that they're teaching um, is how to have a strong mental a strong mental game when you are winning, when you're losing, when you're facing adversity, um, and all that stuff. In your program, you'd mentioned earlier, kind of talking about self-reflection, having players kind of rate themselves on some of those attributes you talked about, what they think other people would rate them on, having them read Mind Gym. I think all of it plays a huge role in something that some of us sometimes neglect, which is the mental side of things. And ultimately, our goal when kids leave our program, you know, one of the big things is they need to be better thinkers, better people. And a huge part of that is the mental side of things. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not going to play softball forever, but if there's something that needs to get done at home, you know, they need to have the, you know, mental strength to just get it done. If there's, you know, a problem they're having in a relationship, they need to understand how to get past it. And I think we can use sports and and the mindset, mind gym, things like that, and self-reflection to help players become better people too. I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Pick up a copy, everybody. <laughs> I will. Uh, Coach, it was awesome having you on. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for spending an hour with us today. I think people are going to learn a lot from it and how to build programs and, and kind of go from the ground up. It's been good. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can find the High School Coaches Club by going to our website, www.highschoolcoachesclub.com in addition to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at HS Coaches Club. Coaches, trainers, administrators, uh, even players uh, can all provide us with stories that, that help us improve ourselves and the lives of our athletes too. So uh, here's the deal, everyone. Um, if you know somebody who'd make for an awesome guest here on the podcast, even if that somebody is you, uh, please email me at highschoolcoachesclub at gmail.com. Um, coaches, trainers, administrators, players of seriously any sport uh, at the high school level. Uh, if you've got something or you know somebody who's got something to offer up to the rest of us, um, please reach out to me. That's the best way to kind of help this community grow. Um, lastly, you can always reach out to me personally, and this is really the fastest way to get a response because I spend probably far too much time there. Um, on Twitter, uh, my handle is at Mr. Max Price. Uh, so, hey, I appreciate you being a part of the High School Coaches Club. Uh, honored that you tuned in and, and spent some of your time here with us. Uh, so thank you for that. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you. <laughs>